1: This podcast contains discussions that some listeners may find distressing or triggering. Please use your discretion. and welcome to Reclaim Me. My name is Madeline Heather, and today I am joined by a friend who I've known for pretty much my entire life.
2: Hi, I'm Heather, and I am a survivor of uh, relationship abuse and uh, trauma.
1: Heather and I know each other from way back when Heather was actually really good friends with my sister in primary school. I know she's American, <laughs> but um, Heather, you lived in Australia like half of your life, right? Um, about
2: less than half of my life now. I was about 12 when I moved to the States in 2001.
1: And then I, that's where I knew you from, from primary school and being friends with my older sister. Um So you'd be over at our house and stuff all of the time. Um, And because your mum's got quite a strong accent as well. It was you're with a quirky kind of family because we've got an accent around. (laughs) (laughs) But it was cool. Um, And then, yeah, you moved um, over there. So I've gone and seen you in the U.S. before for a day. And you've been back to Australia a few times. So we've caught up a number of times in the last, what is it, 15 years?
2: Yeah. Well, I've almost been here 20 years. Can you believe it? Oh, my God.
1: That's insane. That's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's just funny because you left with an Australian accent and you've, you've, every time I talk to you, you've got such a strong American accent. <laughs> but it's good anyway. So we're here today to talk about um, something that you you went through um, and you went through for a long time. Uh, and I think it's a really important discussion um, to have. So do you mind? Yeah. Starting, starting us off with with a bit of your story.
2: Sure. Um, I want to start off by saying that my my story with my ex boyfriend ended in his suicide, and I don't in any way condone or promote suicide. Um, especially because I am um, studying to be a therapist. I'm also a substance abuse counselor. But this is this is my story, and um, unfortunately, my life is better off without him here. And if if he had survived, or if he hadn't have done that, I would always be looking over my shoulder, or um, you know, afraid that he he would hurt me, or that you know he might try and sabotage my future relationship. So, you know, the unfortunate truth is that um, I can live much more comfortably without him here. And so I just kind of wanted to start off by addressing that.
1: Yeah, I think it's a um, completely warranted way to feel. I mean, obviously, once you get into your story, it will come to fruition. Um, why that is, I mean, and the extent of what you went through and for how long you went through it, um, definitely. And I think a lot of people have that fear where they look over the back of their shoulders. So it's a completely warranted feeling, I think, to have where you're happy that they're not here. I mean, we're not happy that somebody's ended their life um, in the context of that. But at the same time for you, that it you have less worry now um, because you're, you're not afraid. So would you mind starting us off? Where were you when when you met him? So when I met him... I had just
2: been um, broken up with by my high school boyfriend. It was kind of on again, off again. Um, The, the guy was dating before him. Um, He had just taken my virginity and um, had um, reached out to me to get back together because his mom died. And so when he was kind of, you know, done with me, done using me as a support. Um, I started um, hanging out with the, these people who weren't new friends, but they were, um, I had, I had known them from uh, like a neighboring town, which had kind of like a, oh, I want to say like a lower socioeconomic status. And um, I had known them from a, from around town from other high school friends and we'd just kind of, like, hang out in front of a local Starbucks and sit around. And that's where I first saw my ex. And what's interesting is I had heard of his name before because he had the same first and last name. So I had heard of him, but I hadn't met him yet. And that's where we first, first met. Wow.
1: There's a guy like that actually at my work at the moment, which I think was really funny. It's the first 1st I've ever seen, so it does stand out. Like people would know who that is because you know the name. And then, and then, kind of, how did it progress into a relationship and everything for you?
2: So he was. Um, there was a an- another girl who was part of like this in front of Starbucks crew who was interested in him, and interestingly enough, she was another ex of the guy who had just broken up with me. Um, so she and I were kind of like foes, but we had gotten over it and um, we were all hanging out and she was going, um, she was going out of town uh, for the summer, I think to see family or something, but she had given him um, like one of those um, prepaid flip phones. Like this was back in the, I don't know, the mid, two thousands, um, because he had no job, no money living with his grandparents, um, so that she could stay in contact with him. Right. Um, meanwhile, I think he ended up using it to text to call me. Um, so, um, I think, I don't know if we had started texting at that point, um, but I really liked his sense of humor and we had like inside jokes and I started to develop a crush on him and I didn't care about her and her feelings. Cause we had that, that past, um, you know, animosity. So then there was, um, one night where we were at a friend's house and with another couple and, um, we were all in a hot tub and i think the other couple left and he and i ended up having sex in the hot tub and then um after that um i just kind of like forced myself into the relationship with him i it was a lot of like my insecurity at the time probably having been recently broken up with he was my second partner and um i didn't really know how else to approach it <laughs> So that was,
1: that was, and you're only 18, 19 at this time.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think about 19 at that point.
1: And then, so you started this relationship. Um, How did that progress for you? Because I think from what I know, like it kind of got quite serious, quite quick.
2: Yeah. And it was a, it was a fun, it was a fun summer. I remember, you know, we, we, hung out with that group of friends. We went to the beach, did things for 4th of July. And, and I have kind of fond memories um, until a certain things that I can kind of pick out where there was some red flags that I, I, I don't know if I really ignored them or if I just couldn't really see it through being in it. You know, um, mm. there was one, there was one incident that, um, you know, thinking back for a long time, I had, I have had to work through it in therapy where I, I, it was kind of like a turning point where I wish I had broken up with him at that point. Cause I almost did. And I really had to work through like the, the guilt of, um, of not beating myself up for doing it. Cause there was always like the, what if, well, what if I had done it at that point? None of this would have happened. And, um, yeah, I, I can't, I Do can't, you mean, what if you had left? left? Yeah. What if I, what if, what if I had left, you know, he, he wouldn't, he wouldn't have killed himself. I wouldn't have been in this awful relationship. And it was, it was more about myself. Like if, if I had a, if I had have left at that point, I wouldn't have put myself through all of this. Um, so what that was, was that, um, there was one night where, and we might've been together a month or two at this point, he and the guys were out drinking together. They were at one of the guy's houses and the guy dated before who had just broken up with me a few months before, before I got together with him was also with him. And I was with um, some girl, the girls of that group, um, some of the girlfriends of the other guys, you know, they were all drinking and we were all drinking and we get a either a text or a call. And I think I was like passed out on someone's bed that, um, you know, so-and-so is in the hospital and -and so-and-so. Uh, or we got we got in an accident hit a pole and one guy's in the hospital and one guy died and we're all freaking out what do we do we can't drive we can't go anywhere um and the one who they told us was dead yeah. was um the one who had broken up with me a few months before and i was just like freaking out heartbroken it was it was really scary Yeah. so turns out it was this fucked up prank that they actually had gone out drinking and driving, had almost hit a pole, and my my ex, um, who who is dead, was the one who was driving. He was the one who was drinking and driving, and it was a um, windy kind of um, rural town where they were, and um, almost did he swerved and almost did hit the pole, but decided to tell us that they did, and it was just so fucked up. And at that point, I almost broke up with him and didn't. And I, I always think back to that moment of like, you know, shooting on myself while I should have. And, um, that was, that was, I think one of the biggest red flags that I
1: have. Well, I think as well, like internally we kind of tell ourselves like, it's not as bad as you think, like you might be upset maybe, but it's not as bad or something like that. Like I've been through so many times where something's happened and I've gaslit almost myself into that and you stay around because you also don't want to be that person sometimes especially at that age I mean you're so young um and you didn't know what that was a red flag for it's just a really horrible prank though to cause somebody so that would have been distressing and upsetting for everybody there that one of their friends is potentially dead and they're in one of them's injured and then they're laughing about the fact that you're upset and care about them
2: And I think, you know, another reason I didn't leave is like, I, I was young, insecure. I, I didn't like love, love my body. And here was this person telling me how beautiful I am and, and making me laugh. And I, I didn't want to be alone. I didn't want to be single. And I just kind of kept that status quo of, well, let's stay in this relationship. And that's kind of what I did over the next two and a half years that I was with him is um, kept that that cycle of like this unha- unhealthy relationship because I liked the the reward that I got from him, you know, telling me I was pretty or whatever.
1: Well, it gives you a good self- sense of self as well. And when you've got low self-esteem, when you're not happy with yourself and somebody gives you those compliments, they mean so much. And it just goes to show that it's not, you know, that abuse and things like that aren't um, consistent always. Like it can be peppered in um, and mixed with great feelings, like being told that you're wonderful and get having these things. So they're, they're definitely things I think that are often overlooked, but I completely understand. It's so nice to be told and validated that you're beautiful that you're kind that i like you and then have laughs so you look past the other things yeah
2: exactly and you know i ignored other red flags like he told me that when he was younger maybe 12 or so that he was diagnosed as um as being um bipolar or having bipolar disorder and i (coughs) ignored that and quickly dismissed it um i was studying psychology i um have a, um, bachelor's in psychology. And I was like, Oh, well, you know, you don't have mania that that's, that's a diagnostic criteria. So, um, no, you don't have that. And I, I think I was almost like, I was almost telling myself if that makes any sense. Like I was trying to convince myself he didn't have it. And, um, I think I I think I knew there was probably something wrong with him, but I didn't see it. So I didn't see the mania. I didn't see the, the bipolar. Um, it's 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 clear now from um, talking to therapists and professionals that he probably had um, borderline personality disorder from the way he treated me. But um, I couldn't I couldn't see it from the inside.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think that's such a good point. Like you are trying to justify it to yourself as well because um, otherwise it might mean that you have to do something about it or that it might mean something or imply something on you negatively as well. So it's definitely, I understand that that makes sense to me. So you've been in this relationship now for a few months. What, like, do you go back to college? What, how does it, um because it starts to escalate.
2: Yeah. Um, and, you know, one thing about, about this relationship and about, um, being in it and the way it ended was that it's, it's also, it's also hard to remember some of the details, you know? Um, I think I, I really like blacked it out. and pushed a lot of it out of my memory, um, because of how, um, like difficult and traumatizing it is. So I also really, um, commend some of your other guests for like having that strong memory for all those details. But, um, what I, what I do remember is that, you know, it was so, um, I was so unha- unhappy, even if I like seemed or we had good times, we had good laughs. Um, it was such an unhappy relationship that, um, we developed a marijuana addiction together. And I had, um, I had smoked weed in, in high school and liked it. I mean, I loved it, (laughs) but, um, that kind of became how we spent our time together. And, um, especially because his, um, as we've talked about, um, before we started recording his coercive control over me, um, had forced me to kind of, um, break off a lot of my friendships, he was the only um, relationship in my life. So that's how we would spend yeah. our time. Um, we would we would s- smoke weed and we couldn't do it at my house or his house because it was a secret from our families. It was a secret addiction. And that's what we would do. We would drive around and get high. And um, it was kind of it was also a way to, for me to, um, validate or explain away why I'm seeing him. Um, well, I gotta see him so I can get my weed, and um, that there was a at least a year of that.
1: And you said as well, like you, the coercive control, and I love that you use that term. It's a term I try to use it to try and normalize, but. Um One of those things that you said is that you like lost touch with a lot of your friends and you were quite isolated and isolation is one of those tactics so can you explain kind of what that was like for you? um what did that look like because it can be so different for so many people?
2: You know, I think it happened slowly over time. You know, I was already kind of hanging out with that that different crowd when I met him, so the friends um who were some of my truer friends, my longer high school friends. Um, I, I think I wasn't as close with them anyway, when I met them, I don't really remember, um, what happened or, um, what was going on. Um, and I had the same, same job the whole time. So I had friends from work. I think I just stopped seeing them after work, you know, on the weekends or anything. Um, it just kind of slowly, slowly drifted apart.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And when did he start to kind of get to the point where he was um, like saying that you were cheating on him and things like that as well? Was that after?
2: Maybe like a year, a year and a half in. And, you know, I think that was definitely his insecurity of me being in college and being around males and females um, and, and getting to experience something that he didn't have, Um, have a job. He didn't, um, go to school. I think the last few months he did sign up for community college and he was trying and, um, but it was hard for him. He didn't have a car. Um, after maybe six months of us being together, my dad, um, actually loaned him some money to get a car. But of course my dad never got that money back. My dad never expected to get that money back. And, um, there's a whole story about that car, which, Ends with me um, jumping out of the car, move, uh, the moving car because its brakes didn't work. So he 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 chose to buy a lemon oh scene. Uh It was, you know, I he just put me in in very um, unsafe and dangerous situations where he 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 heard that I liked BMWs. He saw BMW on Craigslist and we went and picked it up. He 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 bought it. Um, Without really doing much research And when we drove it from You know a few miles home To his place Realized the brakes went out Didn't do a test drive the brakes went out and so I had to jump out of this moving car. I can't, I can't believe we made it back to his place without crashing it. And um, to move my car so he could pull it into his spot. And, you know, it, it had broken down several times while he still had it. Uh, we were on the broken down on the side of the freeway on New Year's Eve. You surprised we didn't get hit by drunk drivers. So, um, you know, he always says, I bought a car for you. My dad bought a car for for you. But to, you know, to go back to your original question, yeah. he just, he, I think he felt really insecure that, um, you know, he he didn't have the the, the financial or otherwise means um, to, um, to do what I was doing. You know, I, I would go to the go to the gym and work out with my mom in a class with mostly women. Um, once a once a week, maybe twice a week, if I could. And he would say, oh, well, the gym's for fat people. You know, you got to go on a hike. Because hiking was free. And I love hiking. I, you know, now it's one of my favorite things to do because I get to be in nature and whatever. And that's not because of him. I just love it. But um, he would try to manipulate me into doing the things he wanted to do because of his insecurities. So, again, <laughs> back to answer your question about the accusing me of cheating, um, you know, it was, it was when I was around other people and that would further isolate me from other people. Um, I wanted to be able to kind of have a normal college experience, even though um, I didn't live in the dorms or anything like that. I couldn't, I couldn't really go out with, with friends or do things in between classes.
1: And I think I asked that about the cheating thing, because I think that's a way that people aim to isolate. Um, Because if you accuse your partner of cheating, Then And your response to that is, oh, um, I'm going to then not hang out with these types of people that they think I'm cheating on them with. They're they're winning. They're getting the gratification then. They're getting isolation from you and more power and control. And that's what coercive control is about, power and control. Um, And I think a lot of these situations, regardless of where they stem from and if they stem from mental illness or if they stem from, um, you know, feeling um, unhappy or self-conscious, the behavior that you're exhibiting is still having those impacts on the people around you. And I think that's that's the clear distinction for me. Like it is, you know, it started from, you know, way back for you and it's it's clear that there are tactics that are being used to try and manipulate and control you um, and to try and control who you see and what you do. And it's just it's shocking and sad, but it is, you know, what we spoke about earlier, you just don't see it when you're inside it for how potentially – bad it is. Um, you know, you're looking at it through a different lens when you're involved in it.
2: Exactly. And, you know, you, you, you bring up a good point that like, I would have to, you know, hide things from him that were not bad things. Like I would want to take a nap after class because I was tired from being in school all day and doing homework. And I would have to lie and say I didn't take a nap because he wanted my time right away. He wanted to be with me right away. So he's just like, you know, trying to manipulate me and to get me to do what what he wanted me to do. And, um, I could never tell him the truth. Like, oh yeah, I needed to take, go to sleep for 20 minutes or whatever it was. Um, or, you know, yeah. oh, there was a, person with a male name in my class. like I couldn't tell him the truth because he would twist them around and make them something bad that I did something bad.
1: And I think it's just that walking on eggshells feeling that starts to become so debilitating after time because you're you're alert all of the time. You have to think about every single action that you make and thing that you say before saying it because you don't want to get in trouble.
2: Yeah, and then come to think of it, I think that's why the the marijuana just made it so much easier. Okay, fuck it, let's just get high together. You know, let's just go pick up some yeah. weed, and you know, after 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 some time, I got. Um, you know, this was before it was recreationally legal over California, Uh, we had like a marijuana card. So I got the card. Um, And of course, I was the one with the job. I was working part time at a store. I paid for it. I paid for everything. I would pay for our fast food. We'd go to like drive throughs and stuff. And, and we both gained a lot of weight. (laughs) And um, it just made it easier to, to kind of numb out and, um, and forget about it with, with, with the weed.
1: So you've been in the relationship now for like, what over a year? Um, what kind of happens next? What are some of the things that you went through after that?
2: You know, it was the same. It was the same bullshit f- for for that whole time. It was the status quo. Um, you know, there was a lot of, um, a lot of like arguing and discord and and back and forth bullshit and he turned me into a person that i didn't like that i don't want to be again that has turned me away from relationships for years um you know i there, there was a point where i was screaming at outside his house i think he was inside the house i mean that's you know it's a scary it's a scary thing i my parents were never like that my parents are still together that's not something i that was ever modeled for me and so i'm it's not that i don't want to take any responsibility for that behavior it was this really um sick unhealthy relationship that just that was kind of like the status quo for that whole time and again because I had blacked a lot of it out it's kind of hard to like piece piece with the whole timeline together but um you know yeah. a lot of it was around um around the car or not having a car um he had gotten jobs and lost jobs he had lost jobs because he didn't have a working car um he um, there was a there was a time where I was driving and he called me a cunt or bitch or both. And I just started punching him in the crotch. And then he grabbed my arm and like locked my elbow and was I thought he was going like, to break my elbow. Um, but it started with me hitting him yeah. because, you know, he called me. A name that I never wanted to be called. So, you know, besides that, he never really did hit me or get physical with me. There were, you know, some really crazy things that we had both done. Um, But it was the same, like I said, it was the same bullshit for years. And um, through that, we never really broke up. (laughs) I was never strong enough to break up with him until, like, I'm going to say November 2010 we were just kind of the way I would put it is we were just kind of friends at that point. We weren't having sex. Um, We were just getting high. I would, and again, like I said, it was, it it was, I used him as a way to like get out of the house and smoke some weed. And whereas like later I would just, you know, smoke on my own and I wouldn't hide it anymore. But it was, it was a way of kind of getting My weed, if that made sense, even though it was my weed that I paid for, because I paid for everything. And so um, he was driving because he usually liked to drive my car and I would let him. I think I, I think I told him that like, either like I see us as friends or I'm not really in love with you. And, and he was, he was in the middle of driving. And I remember exactly the street that this happened on. Um, It was in, you know, the town town the town next over where he lived, where his family lives. And he just starts punching himself in the head. And he would always say like, I would rather hit, hit myself than hit you. Cause he always saw his dad hit his mom growing up. And he, he was doing it so hard. that I see blood starting to pour down from his head and I yell, pull over. Like you need, you need to pull over. And then we, he pulls into an apartment complex and um I said something like, Oh my god, they're gonna think I did this too. Because I think when one of the neighbors in that complex called 911, that's what they reported to you know, to the cops. So the police showed up um and he had given himself a black eye, basically. Um, cut up sliced open his eyebrow, his eye he was a black eye. And, um, the police told me, and then I called his mom cause she lived like, you know, half a mile away. And I told her, you know, come get him. And they told me, don't, don't go to his mother's house with him. You go home. What did I do? I went to his mother's house with him. Cause I was that, um, yeah. you know, co I needed to make it all better for him, even though he was emotionally abusing me and had been for years.
0: Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcarecom loss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. plushcarecom loss. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes.
2: Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt.
0: Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. So, um, you know, I am um,
2: cops aren't like Experts in psychology, but I'm sure that cop was right. I should have taken his advice, but I didn't. And um, I had promised him that I was going to go trick or treating on um, Halloween with his little brother, who was, I think, almost two at the time. And um, we were going to go to a Halloween party a couple days later um, at his friend's house. And I remember this because I helped dress up his black eye with makeup and like hide it. And I said, and after that, I said, after that, I'm done because I was so scared of him. I was, I was, I was actually scared of him at that point. So that was the beginning of the end for me. Um, I couldn't, I was, I was afraid for my own safety and I started to distance myself from him and, um, I might have changed my phone number a couple times. He would always get it somehow. I don't know. I might have given it to him. But um, then once I started to, like, block the, the, the phone calls and stuff, I would get emails from him. And um, there's – so in Gmail, there's, like – I don't think there's, like, a real way to block an email at least 10 years ago. So it, it was, like, you can, like, send it right to trash, like, with the, with the filters – Um, so that's what I would do. So I would like check and see it. So I would still see them. They wouldn't go to my inbox. They'd go to my trash. And so I would go and look in the trash and I would see that. And there would be a whole bunch of them. And so I would still read them and they weren't good for my mental health, but I would still see them. And they were these very like textbook, um, borderline personality disorder kind of stuff. Like, I like one would be like, please, Heather, you're, you're all I need, you know, please save me, please buy me weed, like, you know, help me help me kind of messages. And others were like, yeah. you know, you're a piece of shit, look what you're doing to me, you won't help me. Um, And so really just like idealizing me and devaluing me and back and forth, back and forth. And that would go on for that went on for about two months, then his um, suicidal thoughts started to get worse. Meanwhile, he had kind of peppered it in through our whole relationship. He had talked about his mother's friend who killed herself and kind of like talked about that. He had a fascination with knives, he had a knife collection. Um he had never really um cut himself to my knowledge. I think he like practiced cutting the hairs the hairs on his arm to see if it the knife works whereas you're supposed to do it on paper anyway so um, yeah. there there were hints throughout time but I never really could tell there was one time where he was telling me he was really suicidal um, and he was hanging I knew he was hanging out with friends at that Starbucks that I was talking about earlier so I um, I called a um, a suicide hotline. And they, th- it's normally for people who are suicidal, um, to just have someone to chat to, or to, um, you know, have an ear on the other end. And um, they told me, you know, if you think another person is suicidal, you need to call 911 and get them help. So that's what I did. And I knew where he was. Yeah, And this isn't, the best this is kind of a um, controversy now with um, when people are saying defund the police, um, that it shouldn't be a police who mm. respond to these kind of things. It should be um, psychologists or therapists. But um, yeah, someone did show up. Um, to where he was and they took him away to a hospital to get evaluated so he was mad at me he said you had me arrested which he wasn't he was taken away in handcuffs and um you know when I have worked in um, therapeutic settings it's very common they do it for someone's own safety um but that was very jarring for him it was very scary for him and he had a lot of resentment a lot of rage for me he was evaluated he signed something saying mm. that he wouldn't kill himself I I don't remember how many weeks before, but I had seen him in in person after that. And because he didn't have health insurance, he was slapped with like a big bill, like an emergency room bill. And he's like, well, for someone who's going to kill themselves, this isn't really helping, you know, this is making me want to kill myself more. This big medical bill. So he, the, 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 the statements and the ideation kept getting worse and worse. And, but I I was cutting off contact. I think there was even, like, this weird Facebook group that someone had, like, a friend of a friend had made that put him in it. And he was saying some really dark stuff in there. And people were like, oh, do it. Yeah, yeah, you should do it. And that's... There were little things that, like, that sent him over the edge. There were little things that um, were tipping off other people. Like, that what he was thinking, what he was feeling. He had... Um, he had hacked my computer at one point where he, um, he was, I don't know if he was like reading the, 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 like what I was typing, like my keystrokes, because he read that I typed in the word Robert, which was like part of my password at the time because my dog's name was Bob (laughs) and, um, he looked at like my list of Facebook friends, And there was um, someone named Robert I went to primary school with. He's like, are you talking to this guy? Are you, you know? And it's like, no. And he was so paranoid and, you know, thinking that I was with other guys when all I wanted was to just be left alone. I just wanted peace. Yeah. Um,
1: Yeah. And the funny thing is um, Robert, right, was from Australia. So he's paranoid about, Somebody like you're in the states at the moment, somebody across the other side of the world exactly you know he
2: he did happen to see like a, like a, a Facebook conversation I had with someone where I told them that I, I I wasn't in love with him and you know that sucks, but that was none of his business to see and um, he shouldn't have been hacking into my um, my private my private stuff. And then I think I I might have I remember he he asked me to see him um, it might have been a week or a week before um, he died and I agreed I was like okay this will be like for me this will be like closure I'll see you one more time he wanted there's like this cute little mountain town that's local and he wanted to he had fond memories of us up there and he wanted to go up there and it was like in the middle of the night that that town closes at like 5 p.m. and um he wanted to go we went for a drive and we did and there was nothing, nothing to do up there and um we went and like it must have been my car I don't think he had he didn't have a car so um I think we like had sex in my car, like in front of somebody's house or something. And like, and that was it. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm done. I'm absolutely done. And I was still blocking the emails and blocking the calls. And that was it. And I was like, I felt, I mean, you know, I, I, I didn't feel good about it, but I was like, you know, I'm, I'm like wiping myself clean. And, um, but it, I think it still got worse. <laughs> and, he he just kept he just kept on with it. He's like if you'll just buy me weed, I'll feel better. If you'll just do this, you know. And this the, the suicidal ideations just kept getting worse. And then um 2 days before he died or the day before he died, we had um I I was like we have to do something about this. So, um I decided to try and get a restraining order. And there was um a cop over at our house. I don't remember why I think maybe to, to give us some resources or because, because the harassment was getting so bad. I think we were just like, Hey, what do we do? And he's like, well, you know, we can't do anything for you right now, mm. but you can go down to the court on Monday. So I think that was a Friday. You can go down to the court on Monday. Like I said earlier, I was working um, like part-time at a store. Um, you know, just down the street. And um this was now like um December. This was like a week before Christmas. And um I I was going to work on a Saturday and I remember I think I was gonna like hang out with um hang out with a friend after work and another friend texted me, um, you know, uploaded a whole bunch of photos to Facebook. that was a weird thing I'm like I don't care I don't want to hear about it I don't want to hear anything to do with him and then um, I get off work I'm leaving the store oh and then well no I'll tell that part later oh no I will I will go back so he had one of the things he had said to me was (laughs) um I I want to see you and give you your Christmas present and I'm like no that's it like so that was kind of, he's like, I wanna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be in a tuxedo and give you your Christmas present. Well, he doesn't own a tuxedo. And um, I don't, I don't want a Christmas present. Like that's, I, I'm done. I don't remember if he was asking or telling me, but like he, he wanted to give me a Christmas present. And I'm like, no, that's, so, um, so I, when I'm, I'm, I'm leaving the store and, um, he just shows up right behind me and then he has a knife pointed at me and I'm kind of, I think I'm like at my car or next to my car. And I did something that I don't know if it was because he was either there or, um, he, but I did something that I never really did was I threw my purse in the back seat and not in the passenger seat. um, I would always put my. Purse, and I still do it to this day. I put my purse next to me in the passenger seat, and he had the knife um, next to me. And he said he told me to get in the passenger seat, and I said no. And I tried to slam my driver's door shut and get in, and he wouldn't let me. He held the door open. And he wouldn't. He wouldn't let me. And after a few, you know, time is a blur in trauma. Um, after a few seconds. I think of struggle. Oh. So I for some reason just trusted this is dumb, but I trusted he wasn't gonna stab me. I just my adrenaline or something, I just felt I'm not gonna, you know, he's not he's not gonna do that to me. And that was naive, but um I just I just for some reason didn't think that that would happen, even though he had a knife pointed at like at my side. And um I had to then reach around to the back seat behind me to get my purse that had my phone in it. Because the day before when the cop was over at our house, he said, if you see him, call us, call 911. And um yeah. that was, if if you see him before you get a restraining order, basically. And so I was calling 911 about to say, I don't know what I was gonna say. And then it turned into something else. It turned into me saying something else to the operator because he said, okay, you know, if you're, if, since you're not, whatever, you're not listening to me, I'm going to do it. And what it was, he was going to take his own life. So he dropped the knife that he was threatening me with. He kind of dropped it, um, on me next to me, like on my, um, driver's seat and then pulled out a box cutter and slit his throat. Oh my god. Um, yeah. And then so I think I think what I said to the person on nine on one was like, oh, someone's gonna kill themselves in front of me. And then I just screamed because he he had done it. And it was, you know, it's it looks nothing like the movies. Um and I remember him saying like, kiss me before I die. And I did, and I pushed him away. I didn't want any blood on me. Um, And um, I think some coworkers came out to, um, to help. I remember one, you know, I haven't really had much contact with her. I think she might've left right before I came back to work, but she was like rushed into like paramedic mode and, I just yeah. and an, you know another thing that I often don't have appreciation for was like the secondary trauma of all the people who witnessed it or the other people who I worked with who saw it from the inside or who were just there that day, um, and you know he he doing it in such a brutal way doing it in public in general is I know it's um, I understand being um, working on being a mental health practitioner that, um, it's not, it's not some, it's something that someone is very sick and they, they're not choosing it because, um, they're choosing it because they're in pain and want to be out of pain. But, um, no.
1: and yeah. And I kind of think like, I'm so sorry that you went through that. Cause obviously that's caused you a lot of trauma. And even hearing that like is so, like heart-wrenching. I mean, the the visions in my mind of what you must have seen wouldn't even come close. So I am sorry, It's that's awful. But I also think um, the more and more I've studied things like personality disorders um, and things like that, especially when men do this, um, their aim is to hurt the person that they perceive has hurt them. And I think for me it sounds like his last act was to hurt you as much as possible. Um, That's why a lot of like family annihilators, for example, will murder the children. Um, One of the criteria for that is because they want to hurt their ex-partner, which is horrific to think about, but that's the act that they're doing, that's all they can see. And it's kind of like that in this situation, I think, where he's maybe not so depressed but so delusioned by these things where he just wants to hurt you. But I also think you are so lucky to be alive because that line between suicide and homicide is so finite. Like it's just it's t- it's just tiny that line. And once somebody threatens to kill themselves, I think we need to start teaching people that that's a threat against them as well. Because when somebody no values their own life, they don't value yours. Um. So it is scary. I'm gl- I'm I'm so fucking happy that you're safe and here. Like, that would have been so traumatic for you.
2: Exactly. And, you know, that was exactly what you said about, you know, not not having respect for other people's lives once they um, lose value for their own. And, um, you know, his goal was to hurt me. I think he, he wanted to show me how much pain he was in and um, how much pain I had put him through. And um, there was a four-page suicide note that was all just blaming me. And um, I had I didn't see it until a year later when his mom released it on Facebook. And at that point, um, she and I had a falling out. We were actually pretty close. Um, I was getting high with her. <laughs> and um, she yeah. got she got jealous I think on my birthday and I don't know if jealous is a good word, but resentful that, um, I was moving on with my life and I was at the zoo with family and to see, to see me happy. And that's when our, our kind of relationship ended. But, um, but about the suicide note, um, it was all just blaming me and, um, and you know, look what you did to me. And this is, how unhappy I am. So he really did want me to suffer. And, um, fortunately, um, uh, I haven't let him win.
1: There was also some other stuff that was said as well about what his intentions were that day. Do you mind saying a little bit of that?
2: Y- yeah. So I don't, and again, I don't know if this is true or not. Um, but what his, his mother did tell me when we were still in contact was that he had some things in his backpack. He had, see so he had a backpack on him, Oh, and bef- um, he had a few things on him. So he had a backpack on him that had some duct tape in it, and um, I think maybe some other things. And I don't know how she knew this, but I guess maybe when he, he wanted me to get into the passenger seat and for him to drive, I think he was going to take me out to like the desert and uh, try and camp with me, or maybe kill me there. I don't know. It's even it's it's horrifying to even say that. Um, I don't know if it's 100% true um a lot of people in that family have blamed me and um tried to you know displace that that blame not understanding that he was ill um another thing that he did have and this is kind of funny is a bong so I used to keep a um a bong in the trunk of my car And, um, I guess when I saw him that one last, and it was in like, um, in like a case, it was actually like a picnic, like a padded picnic blanket that I use as a case. And, um, he had stolen it that one last day that we saw each other. And I don't know if that was the Christmas present that he was promising me, or if he was just giving it back to me. But when he had, when he had cut himself, he had handed it to me and I dropped it. And that was in with the things that the, um. That the police gave back to his his mom and, uh, um, but yeah, it was it's scary just knowing have ha, whether it's true or not that um, he had different plans for me and that does make me very grateful to be alive and I do have to remember that when I I think back to that
1: um, yeah I'm so sorry for hearing that and thank you for sharing that story I mean I've got goosebumps I'm. Um, But I'm also so proud of everything that you've done in yourself and what you've become after this. I mean, um, you know, not just traveling the world on your own um, and, you know, becoming an incredibly intelligent woman and studying and everything like that, but also going through your 12-step program um, and everything to become this incredible heroine today. Um, Do you mind talking a bit about that?
2: few years later, um, I was, so that that happened when I was 21, when I was, um, 25, I finally decided it was about time to stop smoking weed. Um, it was affecting my possibilities of having a career of helping other people. And I finally kind of hit me. And, um, that was really what, out of all things that has got me the freedom um that I needed um out of his control. You know, he he by doing what he did, he wanted me to be unhappy. He wanted to ruin my life. And um by by getting sober and by um by by quitting smoking, um I got that freedom back. I he doesn't he doesn't have control over me. And It's, you know, it's a, it's a work in progress. I, um, go to 12 step meetings called marijuana anonymous. It does exist. Um, it is a real addiction as you can see from my story. And, um, you know, now, um, with COVID it's, it's in zoom meetings, but I still have, um, that's where most of my friends are from now. And it's, it's a, it's a great community. And, um, I just, I love that I, when I when I do choose to share this story in the in the meetings, um, I, I always say that you know by by getting clean and by getting sober, um, I I I win. I, he doesn't he doesn't have that power over me anymore, and he doesn't um, he doesn't get what he wants from doing that final act.
1: And you're studying still at the moment, aren't you? What are you studying now? Cause you've done quite a bit of study before.
2: Yeah. So, um, when I did get sober, it was because I was in a, a PhD program to be, um, a, a psychologist and, um, yep. it just, it, that kind of got away from me. I, I couldn't go on and I decided to, um, become a drug and alcohol counselor. It was a, a quicker and easier program to do. And I was working in that for a couple of years and decided, no, I, I want to get an, a, I do want to get an advanced degree. So right now I'm studying to be what's, um, here in California is a marriage and family therapist. So that doesn't mean, um, I necessarily have to work with couples or families, although, um, I'm, I am pretty interested in, in working with families, especially if I want to keep working in addiction, but a lot of um, marriage and family therapists here just work with individuals. Uh, they can work with things like trauma. It's just a um, an all around therapist, uh, psychotherapy. So um, I have about a, a little over a year left of um, classes until I graduate. And um, then I can, get out there and
1: work again. Well, good on you. I mean, I'm so proud of you and I thank you for sharing your story. Um, It is really important, I think, to highlight some of those things that you did um, and for being brave enough to also say, you know, that you were um, addicted to marijuana and going through your own trials and tribulations through that environment too. I mean, it's just, it makes the situation, I think, real for most people because often we discuss these things in like a, A vacuum bag you know what I mean it's like in a tiny thing and and it's not relatable so thank you
2: and and you know um part of the biggest part of my healing is is um being in therapy and 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 seeking seeking my own help I'm, I'm always proud to tell tell other people that that I am in therapy and that um that it's a, it's a great tool and finding, finding other, other tools that help me like, um, like meditation and yoga and, and, you know, being active, like um, hiking and um, it's, it's a work in progress. You know, I've um, finally felt confident enough. um, You know, you mentioned my, my traveling after traveling a year ago to, to um, be in a new relationship. I haven't, been in in a relationship since then. Um, you know, there have been a a couple guys here and there, but like nothing, not an actual relationship since then. I was always afraid of repeating that pattern and being that person of myself that I didn't recognize. And, um, I'm not going to say it's, it's perfect or, um, you know, but it, it, it takes work and, um, definitely, um, healthier and a better person than I was back then.
1: So we were discussing as well, uh, where to reach you. So somebody maybe wants to send you a message, where can they um, send you a message to?
2: My Instagram is at the.heather.flower. And um, as I kind of talked about with, um, you know, just having been harassed by, by him and by his family over the years on social media, um, all my social media is private, but I'm happy to have any conversations on um, on Instagram or anything and I'm open to um, talking about it especially if you relate so um, I welcome you know any and all conversations. I also do want to add a suicide prevention hel- um, helpline for people who are in the us if that's since that's a good resource too that's um, eight hundred Two seven three eight two five five, 273 8255 And I think the, the last four is talk. So it's like 800-273-TALK. So that's like a really good resource too. Cause you know, we've been talking about that and, um, I can't go without that without giving, giving so or so for people to reach out to.
1: For now, thank you so much, Heather. I appreciate it. You're such a, an amazing and incredible woman. And today in Australia is actually International Women's Day. So I'm so grateful to interview you today because it's just so wonderful to speak to such wonderful women.
2: Thank you, Maddie. That's that's really exciting.
1: Thank you for listening. And for now, this is Reclaim Me signing out. This content may have been distressing or triggering for some listeners, In Australia, for national crisis support, please contact Lifeline on 13 11 14. For more resources, please see the show notes for this episode.